in prayer. Father, we come here after a long week seeking the truth of your word that's based upon our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who lived and died for us. We thank you for the reality of our salvation that's secure and grounded in him, the Lord Jesus. So we come here today, Lord, on the Lord's day to honor you, to worship you in spirit and truth. We pray, O oh God, that today would not be simply an exercise of the mind, but a practice of doctrine and life that both go together and that we would honor you, O oh Lord, in all that we are and all that we shall do in the future to glorify your name even more. So we ask you for help, O oh God. We live in a corrupt and depraved world where the world looks at marriage in a distorted way, a sinful way. So we ask you, O oh God, for those of us who are single, that we would look at marriage in a biblical, Christ-centered, God-honoring way. And for those of us who are married, O oh God, that we would be reminded afresh and anew of the glorious truths of your word as it applies to marriage and all of life. So help our marriages to be Christ-centered and God-honoring as well. In Christ we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to start class number eight, right? Class number eight on marriage, and we're talking about a topic that is uncomfortable for some, and that's sex within marriage, sex within marriage. So before I get started, just quickly, at 8.30 last night, I received uh, a text from Brother Corey, Pastor Corey, who was supposed to be teaching this class this morning, and he said he was very sick and vomiting, and so please pray for him. And so, you know, ministry, life in ministry is many times planned, and many times it's a surprise. But I'm grateful to the Lord that uh, there's an opportunity to stand before you. Uh, for many, many years, I was teaching the adult course seminar or adult Bible study class, and those were sweet days, and I miss those days, and it's, it's a great privilege to even be here this morning. Some of you are wondering why are you here, Pastor Rolla? Well, one of the reasons is I'm one of your pastors. But the other reason is just to make a long story short, and I'll talk about it at the 11 o'clock hour, but I had my orders pushed to mid-February, or I'm sorry, mid-January, mid-January, and there's a reason for that, okay? So I'll explain that a little bit later. But nevertheless, I'm here, and so my hope is to serve you in a great way this morning. So class number eight, sex within marriage. Talking about sex in marriage can be a, a little awkward for many of us because why we live in a culture where sex is uh, distorted. The view of sex is distorted in sinful ways. But also, sex is an important topic to cover. Why? Because if we don't understand the biblical reason or purpose behind sex, then sex has the power to destroy lives. Some of us know that firsthand, where before we got married or before we were Christians, we were involved in some sort of prom promiscuity 
in many times that those events in the past still haunt us today. And so sex outside of marriage, if it's unchecked, has the power to capture lives, destroy lives, destroy relationships. I remember a time that I'm a product of the 90s. I'm a 90s kid. Some of you understand that. Some of you don't understand that. But I remember back in the 80s, some of you might be able to remember this, that in the late 80s, or maybe it was the mid-80s, there was an actor by the name of Brock Hudson. Some of you are familiar with that name? And so back then in the 80s, it was very taboo to talk about sex, but his particular situation was uh, homosexual activity, right? And it was very taboo, and Hollywood uh, talked about it, and it was earth-shattering at that time. And so they, I remember as, as a young man that there was PSA public service announcements on uh, be careful with um, AIDS and HIV and so on and so forth. And then Magic Johnson caught, H, caught HIV for his promiscuity as well. Now you fast forward 20, 25, 30 years, you don't even hear about AIDS. You don't even hear about HIV. Why? Because the culture has gotten so depraved that it's just normal now. It's normalized. And so if we don't understand sex properly, it has the power to destroy lives. So we need to ask a question, what is sex? What is sex? And I know this is uncomfortable for some of us, but I think as an evangelical American church, we haven't done a good job of talking and teaching biblically on sex. And if we don't address this topic, then what happens is we have a generation that grows up looking at sex from a very personal but selfish way. And then we see people who are collateral damage in the process. We see generations and generations of people who are hurt by sex in an unbiblical way. So I think it's right for us as a church to talk about sex, but talk it from a biblical standpoint. So when we talk about sex, sex is in the Bible, by the way. God created man. God created sex. And so sex within a monogamous relationship, a committed relationship, where God is at the center, by the way. The purpose of marriage and sex is for the glory of God. Let me just get that straight away, that we understand that. The problem is we live in a world where Hollywood, music, uh, music videos, and everything else that we see distorts sex where it's all about you. It's all about what you want. And when you get tired of this person, you just move on to the next person. And so you destroy lives, one after another, after another, after another. But when we look at the Bible, can anybody tell me the word, the term, that is used in a lot of older English translations as it relates to sex? What's the biblical word for that? New, right? K-N-E-W, new. So when we look at Genesis chapter 4, the Bible does not say, does not say, Adam had sex with Eve. The Bible does say, Adam knew his wife, right? Adam knew his wife, and she conceived. And so the reason that a lot of English translators don't put the word sex in the Bible, it's not that they're afraid of the word sex, is because there's a better word than sex with a greater purpose, a higher meaning. And it's the word new, right? K-N-E-W. And that word know 
is used in the Bible for the word sex, to describe sex. So we live in a culture, again, that looks at sex as recreation. And so one of the main things that I want to get across today, that if you forget everything that I'm saying this morning, this is the one thing that I do not want you to forget. The world's way is to look at sex as recreation. I'm going to use you for fun, as long as we have mutual fun, or even if one of us have fun, I'm going to use you until someone better comes along. The opposite of that is the biblical view of sex. And the biblical view of sex is it's within the context of relationship. Context of relationship. So you can either look at sex recreationally or you could look at sex relationally. Okay, so those are the two points that I want to drive home today. And I hope you remember this. So the Bible looks at the word sex within a relationship context. So when we look at Genesis 4, Adam knew his wife and she conceived. That word know is the word or the Hebrew word yada, yada, which means there's a relationship there. And so that's the basis of today's teaching, relationship. So when we look at sex, sex God has put together within the confines of marriage. Sex is good, let's be honest, right? I know it's uncomfortable to talk about, but sex is good. Sex is right. God is the one who instituted marriage. I think that as a church, we don't really have our theology per se, our biblical theology of sex rooted and grounded in the word. So when we bring up the topic, it's very squeamish. It's very unpopular or uncomfortable. We should speak when the Bible speaks. And when the Bible is silent, we should be silent. But the Bible talks positively about sex within a committed monogamous relationship under God. So sex is really a picture between the husband and the wife. Sex is a picture between the husband and the wife. And so Adam didn't have sex with Eve, even though practically that's true. But Adam knew his wife, Eve. They are one flesh. The Song, song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, says it this way, My lover is mine, and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadow flees. Turn, my lover, and be like a gazelle, like a young stag on the rugged hills. So when we read verses like this in Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, right, you can either read that biblically and say there's a relationship here between one man and one woman, or you could twist the scriptures, which you should not, and say this is all about me, okay? So there's two implications to this. First, if sex is a picture of union, then there are as many different kinds of sex as there are aspects to a relationship. So for example, sex can be hot and passionate. Sex can be gentle and tender. Sex can be serious and be light. Sex can be playful and adventurous. Or sex can be sleepy, right? And so sex is a mirror that reflects physically, okay, it's a physical picture of the union between man and woman. That's what that is. Sex is like a mirror 
physically reflecting the union of marriage. The second implication is this. If sex, excuse me, if sex is a picture, it isn't so much a solution to problems in marriage as it is a display of the state of the union. State of the union. So probably the best way to look at sex, the physical act, from a biblical perspective is this. Sex is more of a thermostat, or a thermometer, I should say. Everybody know what a thermometer is? Right? Do you remember the, back in the old days, you'd have this long piece of glass, thin piece of glass, you stick it under your tongue. Back in the olden days, right, that's how they would check my temperature. And then it would raise to a certain temperature, right? Sex is like a thermometer. It just states what the reality is. But the problem is we as Christians have bought into the world's lifestyle and we've drank the, we have drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, and we don't look at sex as a thermometer. We look at sex as a thermostat, that I can increase it or decrease it. For who? For me. Right? It's not for the benefit of another, per se. It's all about me. So the fact is, sex is really going to display the thermometer of your marriage. Sex is just a physical representation of union between a man and a woman, but it's going to actually show what kind of relationship you really have. And so if a union between a man and a woman is marred by selfishness, pride, egotisticalism, then it's not going to be a surprise that sex feels like that too. It's going to feel very one-sided. But in our culture today, the culture says, if you're having problems with your marriage, do what? Jump in bed and have more sex. Because sex always fixes all your problems. Is that true? Those of you who are married should know that sex doesn't fix your problems. Right? So we need to be understanding the Bible from a biblical perspective because just to fix problems with more sex actually makes the problem worse. I would argue that if there are problems in the marriage, all right, let me, let me say it like this. Let me be very clear. Brother, do you mind closing that door? Just in case some little kid's walking by and they're like, Pastor Rolo's talking about this word sex all the time, all right? If that's you, parents, by the way, I know I put you in a very weird predicament this morning, but honestly, as a church, we have not done a good job, First Baptist Church of the Lakes, or the church in America, we haven't done a good job of educating our children on the very important topic of sex from a biblical perspective. So our kids and our grandkids, they learn about sex from their best friend in third grade, from YouTube and social media and movies and music and the neighbor across the street. If you have children, I know I'm going on a tangent right here, but there's a point to this, that if you have children, it is your job and your responsibility to teach your kids sex by God's design for God's glory. So many of you know I've got five kids. I've got lots of kids. The time finally came where I had to have that talk about the birds and the bees with my oldest, my oldest child. And so it was a very uncomfortable topic for him 
But it was uncomfortable for me, too, because, like, how do you talk about certain things, right, without being graphic? And so I just want to encourage you, men, to teach your kids God's design biblically about sex. But also, let me say this to the men, okay? The, the reason when I preach and teach, and I, put, I put a lot of onus and responsibility on men is because that's where the onus and responsibility falls upon, first and foremost. Men, you are to lead your wives. And so when your wife says, hey, I got something that I want to talk to you about, that should be this right here, time out. Okay? Before we get physical about what we're about to do, like we need to have a serious conversation. When your wife says, there's something I want to talk to you about, that is a big red sign that there's something to talk about, okay? So keep that in mind because you got to resolve the problem, and the way you resolve problems, he's right over here, Manakora, right there. Yeah, it's not good for man to be alone. He's over there, okay? So my point is we need to make sure we're on the same page. If there's problems in the relationship, it's going to show up in your sex life. And when the wife says, it's time to talk, men, it's time to talk. Strain your ears because more sex doesn't fix the problem. But applying the word to our hearts and our lives and our marriages will fix the problem. And I sound like a broken record all the time because I say it all the time, is that there's always hope in the gospel. There's always hope in the gospel. Those of you who've been through my counseling sessions, I always say it. I say it like a broken record. There's always hope in the gospel. I will say that until Jesus calls me home. There's hope in the gospel, okay? So when we think about sex, really, it's the heartbeat of the union, okay? Now this class has become more challenging because I have more teenagers coming in. So we need to understand that sex within marriage is a beautiful thing. But sex within marriage, within a monogamous, committed relationship under God, is the heartbeat of the union. Pastor Corey should have talked about 1 Peter 3 a couple weeks ago when talking about our relationships, especially physical, making vulnerability safe. Did he talk about that? Making vulnerability safe? That when you're in a committed marriage, whether you realize it or not, there's a certain amount or degree of vulnerability because you are so close. You've committed to each other, not just simply legally, but emotionally and mentally and physically. There's a certain amount of vulnerability. But that vulnerability is actually a good thing, and that's God's design. If that vulnerability is actually protected, there's a wall protecting that vulnerability, that relationship, if it's done God's way. The problem that nobody wants to be vulnerable about is because they've been hurt in the past. They've been abused in the past. And so now you have this wall that's up, and they can never be personal and vulnerable, right? So they're more physical, and the emotional mental part has been deducted or subtracted from that union. But hopefully Pastor Corey's talked about this. I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Feel free to turn there if you have a copy of God's Word. If not, just write it down. 1 Corinthians 7. Verse number 3 says this. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 3. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. 
Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. I'm assuming as Christians, if you've been walking with the Lord for some time, you've read 1 Corinthians 7 to some extent. So when you think about that, this verse, right, that a husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. The original word there means obligation. The idea is in a, a debt, a financial debt. I owe you something. There's an obligation there. And so for that culture at that time, for the husband to have a sole authority over the wife's body makes sense. It was a male-dominated culture back then. But the second part of this verse is likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. For the Apostle Paul to say the second half of that verse, right, is like an explosive, contradictory view. Because women didn't have ownership rights, per se, in many respects. So for, for Paul to say, men, you own your wife's body, men would say, amen. But for Paul to say the second half and say, wives, you own something too in the marriage context. You own your husband's body. That's explosive. So the apostle Paul is talking about within a biblical marriage, right? There's equal ownership and there's an obligation that's reciprocal to both parties. This is not to be selfish or prideful or arrogant or egotistical, but it's to think of others more highly, so to speak. So the general question we have to ask is, when my partner or my spouse wants to have sex, do I have to have sex all the time when my partner or spouse requests it? Well, I think the best way to really explain it is this. So I have a, a doctor, okay? And I go to the doctor for checkups and I say, doctor, You've seen my blood pressure, my uh, temperature. Um, you've asked me, do I work out? How do I eat? Blah, blah, blah. And then let's say I privately, one-to-one, -one, patient, doctor, I say to my doctor, I share with him something very personal, very private, maybe even embarrassing. Now, this doctor has this personal information. Does the doctor have the right at that point to go to every nurse and every technician within the hospital and say, you know that short, bald Filipino man, Rolo? This is what he told me about himself. Does the doctor have the right to share that personal information with everybody? The answer is, federally, if you understand HIPAA, if you understand HIPAA, you are not allowed to do that, Mr. Doctor, Mrs. Doctor, right? So who controls that information? Me, I'm the patient. If, if my wife, I'm legally married to Kara, so if my wife even wanted personal medical data on me, I have to sign off on what? A waiver that allows my wife to have access to the information. Now, let me switch that scenario. Let's say somebody comes up to me personally as a pastor and says, Pastor Rolo, you know, I, I've done this in my past. Is there any hope for me? Right? Do I have the right to share that information with others? The real answer is maybe. It just depends on the situation. 
So for example, if the person confesses to Pastor Rolo, right? Every time I do biblical counseling, I say this, by the way. This is a full disclosure. I say to whatever you say to me, dear brother, dear sister, is confidential unless you confess to a crime. You confess to a crime, I'm a mandatory reporter. So if you buried a body out here in the desert, Pastor Rolo is turning you in. I'm just being honest. But that also applies, let's say that the, the, the brother, so to speak, the so-called brother says to me, Pastor Rolo, my wife doesn't know this, but I've been sleeping around cheating on her. And I don't, I don't want you to say anything to anybody. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to call this brother to repent immediately. You need to leave this other woman, and if you don't, I'm going to bring two or three witnesses with me. If you don't listen to us, I'm going to bring it to the church. That's Matthew 18, by the way. So it depends on the situation, right? So what's my point? My point is, is that we live in a world that looks at sex like the doctor-patient relationship. I control the information. I control my body. I control who I have sex with and how often I have sex with. That's really not the right way to look at this. The Apostle Paul, what we just read in 1 Corinthians 7, does, says something exactly different. See, when I married Kara on this exact platform, June 26th of 2004, when I married Kara, I legally and emotionally, mentally, spiritually gave her the keys to my heart, boom, in her hands. I said, I don't, I don't no longer live for myself. Now, am I tempted to? Of course, I'm human. But I give you, Miss Kara Bernalis, authority over my life regarding the area of sex. Now, why would I ever want to do that and be so vulnerable? Because I love her and I trust her. Our relationship is based off of commitment. A commitment to being honest with one another. A commitment to protect our marriage. A commitment to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A commitment to what? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So she has the keys to my heart, right? So there's a vulnerability in marriage, but that marriage or that vulnerability is still sweet and beautiful if that vulnerability is protected by biblical love. Biblical love, right? It's protected by honoring the marriage bed. So sweetness in marriage comes from vulnerability made safe by love. And we're not talking about worldly love. We're talking about biblical love. We're talking about agape love. Agape love in the Bible is a theme that runs right across the the, the whole of scriptures, where we think of others more important than ourselves, that we give of ourselves to the point of sacrifice, that we give of ourselves in a sacrificial, selfless way. And when we do that, we actually honor God in our sex lives and in our marriages. But sadly, many times, sex is all about us and what we want. So, is 1 Corinthians 7 scary? Yes, but it's also beautiful if you understand the biblical paradigm regarding that. So when we look at marriage, 
especially uh, when it comes to differences. There's not, per se, the focus is not differences in terms of personality. I mean, it's, the Bible is very clear that men are designed a certain way and women are designed a certain way, physically, mentally, emotionally, so on and so forth. There's, there's personality differences. But that's not what we're focused on right now. When we talk about differences within marriage, we're talking about authority and role. Authority and role. We live in a culture that hates authority. I hope we understand that. We live in a culture where submission is taboo or to be denigrated altogether. It's to, to be cast a spurge, a spurge on, right? And so when we think about that, marriage, if we understand our biblical authority and role, the husband is to lead the wife. To lead the wife in a biblical fashion. And the wife's role in authority is to submit. I don't, un, I don't know any wife, and I've done a lot of counseling over there, I, don't, I have never met a wife who has said, you know what? My husband is the greatest husband. He loves Jesus, loves the gospel, loves the word. He treats me exceptionally well. He's always there mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And yet, I refuse to submit to him. I've never met that woman. Maybe that woman exists somewhere in the world, but I haven't met her yet. So what's the point? The point is, men, I put the onus on you to lead your relationships biblically. And wives, you submit to that, whether they're perfect or not. Now, if they cause you to sin, that's a different story. We're not talking about sin. We're talking about what is your biblical authority and your role. Because you do this not for the other spouse primarily. You do this for who? Because you're going to give an account to the Lord for your marriage or lack of marriage. And I see men all the time who either passive, meaning they just, they're couch potatoes. They just want to work an eight, ten hour day. Then they want to watch sports for the next six hours, have sex and go to bed. Your wife didn't marry a boy. Your wife married a man. And this man is to be biblical. I'm putting the onus on you men. Because a lot of the problems that we're having fall upon men for being so passive. But then the flip side of that is once men realize like, hey, I need to, I need to lead according to the Bible. Then we have wives bucking up against them. Wives always wanting their way financially, right? I, I can't even tell you how many wives have approached me over the last 12 to 13 years and say, Pastor Rolo, I need you to counsel my husband. I said, okay, about what? I want another child. Uh, you lost me. What, what am I supposed to say to your husband? He doesn't want another child because he looks at the child as a financial obligation, I need you to talk to my husband. You know, that puts me in a weird position, by the way. Like, I'm having coffee, like, hey, brother, how's your sex life? Like, do, do you think Pastor Rolla wants to really have that conversation with that brother? No, not really. And so we need to think of what is our role and responsibility. By the way, children are a blessing from the womb. 
Men are to enjoy the wives of their youth for life. For life. The reason, one of the reasons I got married so late in life is because I was so afraid of getting divorced. I was, I was just paralyzed by fear of being married, divorced, or divorced with children. Right? Because I've seen all my military buddies. I've seen all my buddies who got out of the military. That's one of the reasons I got out of the military in the first place, because I knew I wanted to have a, a family. I wanted to have a marriage. And I, wanted, I didn't want to be deployed halfway around the world. I've seen a lot of uh, military families struggle with that. And then the Lord, in his kindness, brought me back into the military. So that's kind of ironic how that worked out. But we need to understand our authority and our role. When we look at worldly sex, worldly sex is only so vulnerable, which means it can only ever be so sweet. However, Christian sex in marriage throws caution to the winds and hands the keys over because vulnerability is protected by love. It's protected by love. So if you're married, I want to ask you this, and this is a very important self-evaluating question. If you are married, Ask yourself, do you do this? Do you look out for yourself in your sexual relationship that you expect your spouse to do the same? Is it all about you? Or is it about the other person's needs, desires, and wants? Seeking to be the guardian of their self-interest. Men, you've got to lead. When your wife say, I need to talk to you, you need to listen, right? You need to listen. Let me, let me liken it like this. If we were driving from here to Denver, Colorado on a beautiful road trip, and you see the instrument panel of your car, and it has this blinking red light. It says, maintenance required. And what you do is, instead of like pulling over, opening up the engine and looking, you pull out your Sharpie, and you go to your dashboard, and you black it out. And all of a sudden, a second signal and another signal, and you see smoke coming through your engine. But you keep doing 60, 65 miles down, down, the, down the road, right? You see all these, and then all of a sudden you get so frustrated, you pull out your holy hammer, and you start bashing and destroying your instrument panel in your car. Right? Now, that sounds ridiculous, right? Sounds very stupid. But that's, when, that's what happens when we don't communicate. There's a red flag, we need to talk, and you just pull out your shotgun and blow up the instrument panel. Right? There's a time to talk. Talk through it. Okay? If you need help, contact one of the pastors. Reach out to us. So again, let me get back to the point. Either you're going to look at sex within marriage relationally, which is the biblical route, or you're going to look at sex recreationally. So which one are you focused on right now? When we look at songs of songs, the priority is self-giving. It's giving of self to another person that celebrates, delights, and cherishes the other person. Let me read this, Song of Songs 115. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves, right? If you've ever read the book, uh, Song of Solomon's in the Old Testament, it's very vivid language. It's very emotional. 
There's a physical aspect to it. It's beautiful if you understand that marriage, one man, one woman, monogamous, committed relationship under God is a beautiful relationship. It's absolutely beautiful. The sad truth for many men is that emotional, spiritual intimacy is not a necessary precursor to physical intimacy. In other words, the goal of sex is not sex. Let me say that again. The goal of sex is not sex. It's to give an expression to the secure love that is the marriage union. Okay? Remember, your marriage, your family, your sex life is about the glory of God. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, there's two things in mind, understanding and honor. Understanding and honor. Husbands, we need to understand our wives. We need to study our wives. We need to think about our wives. We need to know that she feels known by you. Again, that's that word yada, that Hebrew word, that there's a relationship, there's communication, there is a vulnerability that's protected by biblical love. This is under God's headship, right? Because you do this for the glory of God. But also we need to honor her. We need to make her feel cherished and honored and respected and desired. And we need to pursue her. Men, listen to me. If you are dabbling with pornography, I don't care if you're married or single right now, you need to hear me out. You're dabbling with pornography, you need to kill that sin. You need to absolutely 100% kill that sin. Because what a lot of men, now it applies to, to women, I read an article six to nine months ago that young girls in the United Kingdom are now addicted to pornography. Why? Because you have these smartphones, you just click one time and boom. You just started a brand new addiction, sinful addiction, by the way. But one of the things we, we need to understand, men and women, is that to dabble with sexual sin in the form of pornography, please listen to this, you are brainwashing yourself and programming yourself to sin against God and to sin against the person that God gave you as a gift and a blessing for you. You will destroy your relationship. You will. All your relationship needs is a little seed called doubt and a little bit of mistrust and a whole lot of miscommunication. All it needs is a little bit of water and a little bit of soil and a whole lot of sunlight. And what happens is your relationship is not growing, it's actually dying. And I've said this once, I'll say it a million times. Men, you need to have an accountability partner you need to get serious. You need to be responsible. You need to man up. If you're, whatever devices you're on to look at pornography, get rid of it, break it, destroy it, shoot it. Do whatever you have to do. But you need to kill that sin. And I've said that to young college students. And you remember the story where this one brother, I believe he's a brother, he said, Rolo, you're asking me to break my phone. I just paid $700 for it. That's exactly what I'm asking you to do, break that phone. And he finally did, 
And three to six months later, he calls me up and he says, Rolo, I'm walking with the Lord in holiness. You got you to get desperate. The problem is we're not desperate enough. You need to get desperate about killing that sin. So, remember, the goal of sex isn't merely sexual gratification. We need to pursue our wives. Husbands, pursue your wives. Don't pursue a woman. Men, don't confide your problems or challenges with another woman. That's a recipe for disaster. That's an absolute recipe for disaster. If you're a man struggling, you need to talk to another man. If you're a woman struggling, you need to talk to another woman. I'm not saying that's in the Bible. I'm just saying that's wise. Of course, when we think about challenges, right? Challenges, we need to talk about five challenges in the short time that I have left. Because there are challenges regarding this. Remember, real sex is a picture of your union. Sex is a representation of the thermometer within your marriage and sex life. It just reveals what's actually happening. It's a physical representation of that. So I want to talk about the five challenges. Number one, shame. Number one, shame. For many of us, we are, we are absolutely embarrassed and ashamed of what we've done in the past. Why? Because we were involved in relationships that we should not have been involved in. And so we're, we're naked and ashamed, if I can use that language. But I want to encourage you. Did Christ Jesus bear your sin and your guilt and your shame? Did Christ do that for you? If he did, there's hope in the gospel. There's hope in the gospel. The God that we serve is in the business of healing the brokenhearted. And I hope you truly, truly believe that because the word of God is very clear regarding that. Christ Jesus came to bear your sin, your guilt, your shame. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. 1 Peter 2, verse 6. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Do you believe in Christ? If you believe in Christ, you will not be put to shame. That's a promise from the Lord. And if you are ashamed and you have not talked about it with your spouse, I want to call on you. Christian brother or Christian sister, you need to have an honest conversation. You need to clear out all the skeletons in your closet and be honest, be clear, be transparent, be visible. Don't try to hide anything and ask your spouse to help you and to pray for you. Okay? So, that's shame. The Lord can forgive you and the Lord does forgive you if you believe upon him. The second challenge is embarrassment. Embarrassed. You're embarrassed by sex for some of us. Why? Because we feel that it's a necessary evil or something we're not supposed to want much of. Remember, sex is beautiful within the context of the Bible. God instituted marriage. Sex is to be enjoyed. But for some of us, 
We understand that God created sex, but when sin entered the world, it has skewed or distorted our minds and our hearts as it relates to sex. And so what do we need to do? We need to understand sex from a biblical standpoint. We want to really focus our hearts upon Jesus, upon the Lord. First Peter, I'm sorry, First Timothy 4, 4. First Timothy 4, 4. This applies to sex, by the way. It says this, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. There's an application there. Did God create marriage? Yes. Did God create families? Yes. Did God create sex? Yes. So we need to understand within God's design that our sex life is a form of worship, if we understand it correctly. So when we think about what the Apostle Paul is talking about here regarding 1 Timothy 4.4, he's talking about marriage. He says sex is to be enjoyed, marriage is to be enjoyed, family is to be enjoyed. These relationships are to be enjoyed. I know it sounds weird, but do we thank God for sex? For the average Christian, the answer is no. We don't even think about it. So, we need to think about it in those terms. Think about, when we think about embarrassment, right? I think embarrassment comes from just bad theology. Why? Because bad theology doesn't focus on the gospel. Bad theology focuses on us. What we've done, what we could do better, how we can pick ourselves up. So a lot of our embarrassment comes from really bad, bad theology. But the Bible uses language to describe desire and attraction within marriage. Sexual desire is good. God has created us that way. But also, sex, the desire for sex, isn't something, per se, for you. What would you say if sex is actually a command, if you're married? See, most Christians don't think like that. If you put 1 Corinthians 7 and you put Proverbs 5, 5 together, it says this, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now, we're quick to quote, rejoice in the wife of your youth, but actually in the original language, that's a command. It's a command to enjoy your wife. It's not something that I do because I got nothing else to do. It's actually a command to rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. That's Proverbs 5, verse 18 and 19. Yes. Yeah, discontentment. So to not obey shows discontentment, right? So I'm glad you brought that up because we're, we're about to jump into this. So this text does not say, look for someone who intoxicates you with her love. The text doesn't say that. But it does say, see that your wife is yours. Be intoxicated always in her love. So it's not about what can I get. It's about what can I do to fulfill my role in honor God, okay? 
So do we look at beauty as the most important thing? I hope not. Do we look at sex as the most important thing within a relationship? I hope not. I think to make this point, to, to drive it home, we need to think about a story that was presented here uh, where a husband read an article in the post about his wife. And in this post, the wife, after 20, 30, 40 years of marriage, had some pictures of herself uh, conducted by a professional photographer. And so the husband sees these pictures of his wife, and they're beautiful pictures, by the way. But he was actually disappointed in these pictures. And this is what he says. He writes to the photographer, he says this, when I opened the album that she gave me, my heart sank. These pictures, while they are beautiful and you are clearly a very talented photographer, they are not my wife. You made every one of her flaws disappear. And while I'm sure this is exactly what she asked you to do, it took away everything that makes up our life. When you took away her stretch marks, you took away the documentation of our children. When you took away her wrinkles, you took away over two decades of our laughter and our worries. When you took away her cellulite, you took away her love of baking and all the goodies we have eaten over the years. I'm not telling you all this, all of this, to make you feel horrible. You're just doing your job, and I get that. I'm actually writing you to thank you. Seeing these images made me realize that I honestly do not tell my wife enough how much I love her and adore her just as she is. She hears it so seldom that she actually thought that these photoshopped images are what I wanted and needed her to look like. I have to do better. And for the rest of my days, I'm going to celebrate her in all her imperfectness. Thank you for the reminder. You know, when I married Kara, I said to her, and we, we already know the answer, right? I said to Kara, I said, Kara, I said, there's coming a day that uh, I'm not going to be young anymore. I said, will you still love me? And she said, yes, I'll still love you. I said, praise the Lord. And she said, there's a day coming where I'm not going to be so pretty. And I said, I know. That's just part of growing old together, staying committed together, staying together, right? And so, men, it's not about having a model wife. It's about having a godly wife. It would be better to marry a woman, and no disparagement to any of the wives, it would be better to marry a woman of average looks, but a heart that's on fire for Jesus, than the most beautiful woman in the world who doesn't know God from a goat. I hope you understand that. Third challenge, and maybe I'll wrap up on this. Broken trust. Broken trust. Remember, vulnerability must be safe, and you do that by love. So if you want to improve your sex life, I know this sounds like Dr. Ruth philosophy, but it's not. But if you want to improve your sex life, 
then you need to grow in your trust in the Lord first and then grow in your trust for each other. Right? The world says, focus on each other. No, the Bible says, focus on God, then focus on each other. We need to understand that. Because when you break someone's trust, it's very, very hard. Not impossible, but it's very hard to repair that trust. It may take years and even decades to repair that trust. So broken trust is very damaging to sex in marriage. So when we hear of stories, and it's happened within our church family, where we had to excommunicate uh, uh, a, a lady a few years ago, and she wouldn't repent of her infidelity. She was cheating on her husband. Members here, right? I remember the husband. Absolutely brokenhearted, devastated, destituted. Just, I've never seen somebody that low, ever. But infidelity will destroy marriage. There's no trust there. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual, immoral, and adulterous. Infidelity will destroy your marriage. I don't care who you are. It will destroy your marriage. And it's not just talking about adultery. Right? I hope you put in place practical boundaries for your marriage, men and women brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to protect that relationship at all, at all costs. You need to focus on the Lord first and foremost, not each other. I say this in a lot of my premarital, marital counseling, like if, you're, if you're focused, if your focus is really each other, your marriage will fail. But if your focus is Christ first and foremost, then there's great hope. See, the problem is we focus on each other like, my wife is my best friend, or my husband is my best friend. When I hear that language, that's not biblical language. Your best friend, so-called best friend, is Christ, if you're a Christian. Focus on building that relationship first. Everything else will fall into place. So, don't do anything that would jeopardize the trust within your marriage. You know, we can do subtle things within our marriage, by the way, like watch movies, watch racy shows, or whatever. And it may, it maybe it's not technically pornography, but maybe it's a sex scene within a, a marriage, but, or within a movie, and it's not as vivid or graphic. You know, just those little scenes can plant seeds of doubt in your mind. We need to be careful what we're watching. We need to be careful what we're hearing. We need to be careful what we're looking at, right? When I'm driving down the street like Spring Mountain and we see all these racy billboards, I'm literally driving down the road with one eye open and one eye closed. And I tell my, my, my boys, like, close your eyes. They know what that means. I don't even have to go into detail. I say, close your eyes. I'll tell you when we can open them, right? So we need to be careful what we're putting into our hearts and our minds. 
So if there's broken trust in your marriage, you won't fix your marriage by more sex. I want, I want to make that very clear. You're not going to fix it with more sex. I don't care how good the sex is. You're not going to fix a broken marriage with no trust with more sex. What you need is the gospel. You need the hope of Christ. And let me end with this. There was a study, University of Chicago study regarding sex in the 90s. And the question was, who in America are the most sexually satisfied? Obviously, this is a secular um, research here. And so many would think, well, it's the young and the free and the energetic are the most sexually satisfied. But in reality, the, the data from this study said no. It turns out that the most sexually satisfied people in America are married couples in their 50s with one lifetime partner. One lifetime partner. And how many relationships do we see over and over marriages? I have friends who've been married three times. And they always think that the next marriage is going to give them the hope that they've been looking for, the satisfaction. They think that the grass is greener. But once they get legally committed to this next marriage, it's not really greener on the other side. Eight out of ten times, nine out of ten times. I'm not saying God's grace can't help that situation. But I think our perception is actually skewed. Okay? All right. I'm going to close there. If you have situations in your marriage, whether you're single or married, and you need some counsel, biblical counsel, come talk to one of the pastors. We're happy to help. We want to help. We want to make sure that your focus is Christ first and your relationship with others second. Remember, there's hope in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us. I know that this topic is highly uncomfortable for some. It's taboo in certain churches to even mention or to talk about. But Lord, we thank you that your word speaks regarding this topic. Pray, O oh God, that you would help our hearts and minds to be healed from the sins of the past, from our shame, guilt, and embarrassment. Help us, O oh God, to honor you. Lord, we know that there's hope in the gospel. We know that you can heal our broken hearts. And for those, Lord, that are here today that have never been married, O oh God, I pray that you would help them to see this beautiful gift of sex within a monogamous, committed relationship for the glory of your name. Help us to be people of the book. And help us, O oh God, to give you glory in all our relationships. In Christ we pray. Amen.